This podcast is brought to you by Podcast Nation. This episode is brought to you by Lola V, an award-winning hair care line founded by the fabulous Jennifer Aniston. Jen got tired of the same old struggle we all face, choosing between hair products that work and ones that are actually good for us. With Lola V, that dilemma is history. We all put our hair through the ringer. That's why it's crucial to have products that not only repair the look of the damage, but also shield your locks from future harm. Enter Lola V's bestsellers, the Glossing Detangler and the Perfecting Leave-In Conditioner. They're your hair's new best friend. Friends. For a limited time, you get 15% off your entire order at lolavie.com. Just use the code RAWBEAUTYTALKS at checkout. Lolavie is all about naturally derived plant-based goodness, no silicone, sulfates, parabens, or gluten, and of course, cruelty-free and vegan. That's 15% off your order at lolavie.com with promo code RAWBEAUTYTALKS. You can only use one promo code per order and discounts can't be combined. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Tell them I sent you a over. Hello, everyone. My name is Erin Trelore, and I am the host of Raw Beauty Talks. We're taking you behind the highlight reel of the world's biggest influencers and wellness gurus to get a raw glimpse of what beauty, health, and wellness look like in today's world so that you can feel your absolute best in your body and in your life. Hi, everyone. I am beyond excited to have registered dietitian and coach Jen Messina joining us today for a conversation that is so relevant to my life right now. I can't even tell you. (laughs) We're going to be talking about how to help foster healthy relationships between our children and food and their body, which feels so complicated in this day and age with all the information that we have and um, all the things that we've learned from our own parents and grandparents, and then trying to merge that with the, the research and the information that we're getting today from media and all of these different sources. So Jen is here to help us demystify this conversation around feeding our kids. Thank you so much for being here today, Jen. I'm so excited. I think it's been a long time coming um, we've known each other since our littles were babies and yes. now it's kind of come full circle and we're both working moms with two. So I'm really excited to, uh, to be a part of this discussion today. I'm so curious to know before we dive into all the tools and, and tips and everything, what inspired you to get into this line of work? So, you know what, I, from a very young age was interested in food and health. And I kind of, I was thinking more about this as I've gotten older, like what was, what kind of started it all. And I think as a child, I was so steeped in the culture of being told foods were good for us or bad for us or healthy or unhealthy. So, and I had a dieting family. So I was raised in a way that, I mean, I was fortunate in that I wasn't put on diets, but I saw everyone around me dieting. And so I kind of had this curiosity, like what makes food good or bad? And how can we best feed our bodies? And so from high school, I actually went into university knowing I wanted to be a dietitian. Um, I also was really curious about kind of the biology and physiology piece of it and how we use the nutrients that we eat and what that does to our body and how it helps prevent disease and treats chronic conditions, all that kind of stuff. So um, from a very young age, I was very curious. Also, I think as a child, I had body changes where I was periods of time where I was a larger child and a smaller child. And 
also had that kind of feeling of how the world looked at me in these different bodies. And so going forward, I kind of was curious about kind of, I would say kind of cracking the code, you know, Mm. because I think many dietitians have this um, feeling of wanting to, you know, know how to best be in their body and how to help others be in a quote unquote healthy body. What that means has changed for me much in the past decade. Well, then I feel like I've asked the right person to join me for this conversation because I would also love to crack the code on how we do all of this quote unquote right. And I already know there is no right answer, but we'll, we'll dive into some things and some tools and some tips that you have for making it all just feel a little bit easier and, and perhaps even just giving parents confidence in some of the, the decisions that they're making in this area. So to start off with, can you talk to me a little bit about what a healthy relationship with food even looks like today? What what is a healthy relationship with food? That's a great question and I think one of one that like I said has definitely evolved. I think when we think healthy, first of all, when we think healthy, what does that even mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and then we think what is a healthy relationship with food? I think it's really, you know, when I work with clients it's finding a balance that they can feed their body in a way that nourishes their cells and helps them to feel their most vibrant self, but also feels good in the sense that they can go to a birthday party and eat a slice of cake. So it's living without food rules, living without guilt and shame when we're eating, um, thinking about um, our hunger and fullness and how our body is responding to these different foods um, and you know pleasure that's the other piece of it so I think yeah. having a healthy relationship with food is encompassing all of that so it's not just eating you know we're not robots we don't need like x amount of calories and protein and micronutrients um, you know to live but how do we have this relationship with food that feels a, like a positive relationship and one which we enjoy I love that you're speaking about health holistically, because I think that this is where a lot of people get tripped up right from the beginning in regards to food and feeling like, you know, we, we have to eat healthy food all the time and biohack our bodies so that we have the perfect balance of micronutrients and macronutrients. And so that we're optimizing all of these things, which is food can serve a very, um, purposeful job in regards to keeping us healthy and keeping us vibrant and able to do the things that we want to do. So that's absolutely one part of it. But Mm -hmm. we have to remember that there's this whole other part of health, which is our mental health and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, how we are able to operate in the world. Like you said, can we go to a social gathering and participate in, um, in using food as part of, our relationships and celebration and all of these things mm-hmm. in your mind. So you talked about the purpose of food kind of being a combination of serving us in regards to health and energy and joy. Um, is there anything else that you think would fall into that category of food's purpose? I think definitely like connecting us with our culture Um, connecting us with our family, celebration, all of that plays into kind of the role of food. And so I think there's so many kind of aspects that 
like nutrition is only one kind of piece of this puzzle. So when someone comes in and they want to talk about, you know, I want to eat clean and I want to eat local, organic, everything. Then we look at like, well, what does that cost you in terms of social relationships and pleasure and, you know, experience? So I think all of that kind of plays into the role of food. As women, I am listening to you say this and from a very young age, there seems to be put so much pressure and importance on the nutritional value of food. It feels like that piece of food and the process of eating carries so much weight. So eating the right foods, eating X number of calories, eating you know reduced sugar and all of this stuff, it, it becomes so important in regards to maintaining good health, in regards to a relationship with food. We never talk about the importance of food in regards to providing pleasure or relationships or any of that side of things. Why, why is this the messaging that we receive? I think we really, there's a lot of different places that we get these messages from. So I was working with a, a little dance company and the girls are nine to 14. And we started to talk about where do they get these messages about what's healthy and not? And so, you know, we hear, we, you know, we love to talk about the media and the magazines and the, but it's also from our own communities. It's from our moms, it's from our dads, it's from our, our, you know, little friends in dance, um, giving us these messages. So I think, you know, we can do what we can with regards to like not buying the products that we feel like, you know, are out there to kind of sell us things to make, because they make us feel bad about ourselves. But you know, what about what are we doing in our own community? So as women, I think we get messages, even as young girls, as young as, you know, five years old, we're hearing messages about what's good for us and bad for us and how our body should look and that sort of thing. So I think when we turn inwards and see, you know, and this is like, we're, when we talk about parents, pe parents are well-meaning. Parents aren't out to like make their kids feel bad. Like we no. always have the best intention at heart, but some of the things we might be saying out of well-meaning might actually have the opposite effect. So I think it's kind of a, not only do we need to look outside of ourselves, but in within our own community that we're hearing some of these messages. What are some of the common things that you hear parents saying to their kids that actually might be more harmful than they are helpful in regards to food and eating? So there's, um, there's quite a lot of them. And I try and as I, I try to separate myself from like Jen, the mom from like Jen, the dietitian, because I don't want like my mom, my mom, people who know me really well know that like, I never look at like kids plates and have any judgment. I mean, yeah, it's, that's not who I am, but I think I really try and separate it, but I do hear things like even in my own daycare, like my daughter will come home and she'll say, Oh, um, the teacher wouldn't allow Leo to have his mini egg. Um, from his lunchbox because it's unhealthy, like things like that. Right. And I'm like, mm, 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 mm. like <laughs> I have to have a discussion with them later. Like, so I hear, you know, a lot of, a lot of um, moralistic things around food, like food being right. good or bad or healthy or unhealthy. Um, and then I said to my daughter, well, what does unhealthy mean? Like, what does that even, and she was kind of perplexed by this because in our house, we don't talk about food in that way. Food is just food. Right. And so we try and talk about, sometimes we might say like, that's a fun food or that's a growing food, but we don't say like, that's a bad food for us. So, um, you know, I hear some, some stuff like that, or 
um, and still some of the things we grew up with. I know you were kind of in the same era as me when, you know, clean your plate, there's starving children. Yes. You eat your dessert unless you have your dinner, you know, and I still hear that kind of stuff too. Like, ah, uh, I say that to my kids all the time. <laughs> oh, man. So, I mean, what it's telling them is saying that you as a parent know more about their body and how full they are than yes. they do. And that that food is quote unquote so bad, they need to be bribed by eating dessert to eat it. So that I never, I never tell them that they have to finish what's on their plate, but I definitely say you need to have some of your high energy food before we have dessert. We, we tend to use more uh, language around like, this is a high energy food and this is more of a low energy food. Um, mm -hmm. But I'm curious to know because even being in this world and having these conversations with women and understanding as an adult, how these phrases and sentences and rules can impact them. It is still so hard. Like my kids would literally eat mini eggs, ice cream, and grilled cheese every meal if they could. I mean, probably mm -hmm. not forever. Eventually they'd realize they didn't feel very good, but mm -hmm. how do we help steer them towards some foods that are going to help nourish them a little bit more mm -hmm. uh, without creating these rigid rules mm -hmm. around it? Like, what are you doing in your house? Tell me. So, I mean, for us, like the kids eat what we eat. So if yes. we're eating, like tonight, we're going to have Thai curry and yeah. it's going to have ground chicken and uh, cauliflower and rice. And it's not a spicy curry. It's a regular, you know, it's not spicy at all. So something that we're having, so they will have that. Now I do some parents like mixed consistencies are tricky for a lot of little kids. So I separate things into like, here's the curry in a bowl and here's the rice. So I think Right. Having things separated can help with, there's like the fear of what is it, right? So if you think about yourself, like if you're going into a foreign country and you can't read the menu and someone brings a dish to you, that's pretty scary. Like what is it right. like? What does it taste like? How am I going to feel if I eat it, right? So that's the same that our young children are going through at the same time. So some of the things that we do is we serve them the same foods as we eat. Um, yes. We we don't have any requirement for them to eat or not eat anything on their plate. So okay. we have meals and snacks at regular times. And then um, we don't have any kind of grazing in between. So for example, if breakfast is at six, my kids wake up really early. I'm really tired. Six is so they wake up at six. <laughs> and breakfast is at 6.10. And then okay. our first snack might be by 8.30. Yes. So if they don't want to eat their breakfast, like sometimes my daughter will say, well, I'm not that hungry. So we talk about what is your body telling you? How is your body feeling? My body's telling me I'm not hungry. Okay, that's fine. But she still is required to sit with us for a certain amount of time. And that's to give them the opportunity because sometimes I find they want to play, right? It's more fun to yes. play than eat. Distracted. So, yeah. Exactly. So we take away the distraction, get them to sit down, have a certain amount of time. And my daughter can sit now. She can sit five, 10 minutes. My son, he's two. He's probably more around the two, three minutes if he's not hungry, but he will still sit yeah. with us. I do use a little sand timer for him sometimes just to give him a visual if he's like really having a hard time with the time, but they don't have to eat. But then what we don't allow them later to say is I'm hungry 10 minutes later, which we do get, right? Like, so we'll serve them. We try to serve what we call foods that are unfamiliar. So like a curry would be unfamiliar with a familiar food or a favorite food. So for them, I'll serve it with rice, which is kind of like a, I would say, you know, half the time they eat it, half the time they don't. But I'd also serve something like 
some fruit, which I know they'll eat. Um, so I give them an opportunity to see the food and have the food exploration, but I also don't make them a separate meal. So um, I know my right. kids, are, like my son loves chocolate. He loves cookies. He loves, you know, he would, if I asked him what he wanted to eat, like that's just, you know, he would just say ice cream, right? Yes. So I think giving them that opportunity to have food that you're eating and learn about food, but not having the pressure that they have to eat like a certain amount of it in order to get something mm. else. Okay. So th this is so helpful for me to hear that you have specific meal times and snack times, because one thing I'm navigating in our house right now is that my kids are always hungry. I feel like every 45 minutes, one of them is asking for food and in particular, James, who's four and he is huge for his age. So he is four years old. And when I get him clothes from Zara, I now have to get him the eight year clothing. So wow, he's growing. He's huge. He's tall. He's like solid and he is so active. So one part of me is like, of course he's hungry all the time. Like his body is growing at an insane rate and he's just this like firecracker. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to tell him you're not hungry and mm -hmm. not give him the snacks, but we're definitely, there's a lot of grazing happening over in this household. <laughs> so what mm -hmm. is that wrong? And, and how do we navigate that conversation as parents? Mm -hmm. And I think the first thing to note is that there's parents are, like I said, parents are all just doing the best they can. So you're doing the best you can with what you know. And so, you know, to, there's so much pressure on us as parents to like give them the perfect meals, the perfect lunch boxes, like feed them the perfect mm -hmm. amount of nutrients from all the food groups at all meals. And so I just want to start by just taking the pressure off us as parents that our job isn't to get food into them. Our food is to prepare the food, set the environment, which they're going to eat and set the timing and it's their job to eat. So there's a really great, um, it's called the division of responsibility by Evelyn, Sal uh, Evelyn Satter. Um, and so yes. she's a registered dietitian who is amazing. And it's her whole career is the feeding dynamic with kids. And so her stuff has been studied. It's well-researched, it's validated. Um, so as parents, one of our jobs is to set the food that we provide for them, like we talked about, and set the meal times. So kids will graze if we allow them to. Like I know at Christmas time, I was having a real hard time because there's food out everywhere. There's cookies yes. and there's candies and there's treats and they were just nibble, 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 and then it's time for a meal and then no one's hungry. So I yes. think setting the expectation, like of course you want to listen and respect that he's saying that he's hungry, but I mean, we're also in a time when food is more available. Like if he was at preschool, for example, he's not going to be able to say to the teacher, um, I want some goldfish crackers. She'd be like, sorry, it's yes. not the time. So I think yes. they, know they can get away more with what in the house with us. So I think having yeah. those limits and boundaries and saying, you know, this is the meal time. Your next meal will be in two hours or next snack. And then for my son, who's littler, I actually put the timer on the oven sometimes and say, so he can look right. at the countdown. Because I warn them when they leave the table, if they've eaten, like I don't ask them to eat any certain amount. So if they eat one bite of a piece of bread and that's it, and then they're done, they've sat for their five minutes, that's fine. They go and play. But then 10 minutes later, I want some goldfish crackers. Let's check the timer on the stove. Oh, we still have an hour and 55 minutes left. Okay. Right. You can have some water. So you're teaching them that like in, in our life, we're not always able to graze nonstop. Like as adults, like yeah. we have to work, we have to drive, we have to, you know, do a lot of other things. So I think it's teaching them 
that at meals, like providing them with a substantial snack that they can have as much as they want of the foods that you've provided. Um, and then the, I say the kitchen's closed now. So like my, my right. son will say, well, I'm still hungry. Like 20 minutes later, I'll say, well, the kitchen's closed. Let's do something else. Let's do a puzzle. Let's you know do some drawing. So I think yes. it's not necessarily wrong, but I think they're going to be expected to have sit down snacks at preschool, at kindergarten, you know, they're yeah. not going to all the time. So I think reflective listening, I hear that you're hungry, but our next meal is going to be in an hour. So why don't you help me in the kitchen making X, Y, or Z if they're really interested? Yes. In oh, they know that their mom is a pushover and they just know how to get to me, but I'm so excited to now have a little bit more confidence in saying like, I understand that you're hungry the kitchen is closed. I'm going to be using that line. They're going to be like, what happened to our mom at work today? Why is the kitchen yeah, always exactly. closed? Now? <laughs> but it's true. And as it really is aligned with this foundation of intuitive eating where we're tuned into our hunger and fullness signals. But sometimes we have to eat because we know we're going into a meeting and we've got a couple of hours before we're going to be able to eat again. And so we have to fuel our body um, mm -hmm. so that we're able to sustain ourselves until that next meal. So uh, it, it feels very aligned with that, which is, you know, what I work with, with my own clients. So it's just mm -hmm. applying that to the toddler mindset. And, no, brain. and they will throw a fit. I'm warning you, you will get like the tantrums, but I think just persevere and then, yes they will roll with it. Then they'll start thinking, oh, okay, like maybe I should eat, you know, a few extra bites because I know mom's serious about this, right? I'm not going to be yes. able to panhandle. We call it panhandling for food, like an hour after the meal is served. Yeah. And I find every night it's when I'm cooking dinner. I mean, obviously they can start to smell food and they both come in and they're like clawing at me and they're grabbing bananas off the counter. And, you know, it's just this like feeding frenzy right before we sit down to eat. <laughs> Like, ah. So I think having, you know, the permission to set those boundaries mm -hmm. and knowing that I'm not doing them damage, which mm -hmm. as somebody who works with so many women who have had all different kinds of experiences as children with, you know, the different rules or lack of rules in their home, I honestly feel somewhat paralyzed sometimes in regards to knowing you know, what to do because you've heard this thing that traumatized somebody as an adult and this thing that traumatized somebody as a child. And so, um, it's so helpful to have you sort of walk us through some of these things. Now, I know some people grew up in that household of, you've got to clear your plate. You've got to finish everything on your plate. And so, um, they even as adults still do that, right. Rather than tuning into whether or not they're full or whether they want to continue to eat. Um, what, why is it important to give them permission to only take one bite of bread if that's where their body's at? Why is that, why is that an important skill for our kids to learn? So children are born and like innately, they know how much their body needs to grow and develop in the genetic blueprint that they are intended to be. So if we think about like even a small baby, if you nurse a baby or you have a bottle, when the baby's done, it's done. Like it turns its head and you can't feed that baby anymore. So from a young age, children know their body's internal signals of hunger and fullness. So I think we need to give them permission to keep that skill. As parents, we think we know best. We think, oh, well, you know, they're going to be hungry in 20 minutes and they're going to have a tantrum when we're at the store or they're going to do this. So, 
you know, and I'm there too. I feel it too, right? I'm, I've got toddlers and I know my son, if he doesn't eat enough or he doesn't have enough protein or enough fat with his food, then he's going to lose his mind in an hour. But yes. you have to also be respectful that this, he is the only one who knows his body best. And so I try and remind them, like, just like, you know, when you need to pee, you also know when your body is telling you it needs more food or when you're full. And so I try to use those words with them at the table like, what is your body telling you? My body's telling me I'm full. Okay, I hear that you're saying that. So if your body's telling you you're full, you know, then you're free to go. So, or they'll ask me like, well, mommy, do you want a bite of my food? And I mean, it's pre-chewed a lot of the time. And I'm like, no, mommy's, <laughs> mommy's, uh, body's, mommy's good full. right now. <laughs> mommy's good. Mommy doesn't want you to have to right? So I think letting them have that intuitive sense from birth, letting it continue, I think, we'll have a generation of children recognize their body sensations from the get-go because this is something we're born to do. And I think over time we lose that by, and it's not to say that, say there's a parent who has been telling their child to clear their plate or has been telling them you need three more bites of broccoli before you have your dessert that you've, you know, yes. ruined them and you've screwed them up and all of this. Like, I think if you're hearing this and you're thinking, you know, I want to try it a different way, know that it's never too late. And to have, if it's an older child, you can have that discussion that, you know, you've been thinking about it and you want to give them more autonomy in terms yes. of what their body needs to grow and thrive. And I think the other thing as parents is we're always worried about children either being too small or too large. So there's, and I see both sides. So I have parents tell me, well, well they eat, they, they just eat so little. How could they possibly be growing? But we know that children have a, you know, when we look at the growth curves, there's children at the second percentile for growth curve and there's children at the hundredth percentile. And the blueprint of the child is going to determine where their body is going to sit on that growth curve. And so you right. telling them like, are you sure you need some more bread with dinner? Like those types of comments won't encourage them to not eat. It will just make them feel guilt and shame around eating, which may lead to them, you know, having issues with being secretive about right. eating. Later. Right, right, right. So I'm curious in regards to navigating this conversation around good and quote unquote good and bad foods. Mm. How do you approach that? in your home. And I love your, you've got to go follow Jen on her social media feeds because she shares so many tips and amazing uh, infographics to help navigate this, but you don't use good and bad foods or high energy or low energy foods. Like how do you, how do you navigate the foods that you're like, like I said, I feel like my kids would literally eat junk 24 seven if they could. Right. So I think we need to remember that us as parents, we're the ones that get to choose the foods that are on the plate. So like, you know, my kids would eat, I don't know, fruit gummies. Like my children love that, the fruit gummies. Yeah. They would just, they ask for fruit gummies all the time. I want to have, you know, fruit gummies or whatever those types of gummy kind of, they're not candy, but they're like, in no, I know what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think we need to know that we're in charge of what they get on their plate. So for example, if, if you're a family that eats dessert, I would serve the dessert. Like say you're a family that eats dessert every night for dinner, then you would serve dessert every night with dinner. Um, again, not being contingent if they eat or not. And in the beginning, like if you have a family that's always had the clean your plate mentality, those children might be, you know, then getting the trust kind of mixed up. Like, are you, if you're giving me dessert with my dinner, 
like is this actually like can I just eat the dessert and then leave the table like kind right of feelings yeah. um so our family eats dessert a couple of times a week. So we yes, serve with, dessert with the meal. Um, and then my kids will say, say they know that there's like cinnamon buns in the house. They'll say like, oh, can I have a cinnamon bun? It's like seven in the morning. That's not on the menu. So I think using that simple phrase, it's not on the menu today. Mm. Or maybe it's on the menu for tomorrow or maybe it's for dinner today. So I think, you know, you're in charge of setting the boundaries in terms of what you serve. So they can ask all they want, but you have the end kind of feeling as to how much that you want to serve them. So if they've had their cinnamon bun at lunch and then at dinner, they're saying, well, can we have dessert today? You can just say, well, it's not on the menu. And right. then just what they say. And a lot of times children will like, they aren't really sure how to respond to that. They're like, okay, <laughs> all right, it's not. So, and then we move on to the next thing. So, I mean, not to say that you shouldn't ever be serving dessert. I definitely encourage, you know, including sugary foods because I think it takes the kind of mystery and, you know, yeah. hyper excitement over it. But yes. I think you also have the, you can also set the boundaries as to how often you can serve it so that you feel comfortable in your house that they're not just eating junk food all day and they don't right. get to decide what's for lunch. They don't get to decide what's for dinner. Gotcha. Okay. So I feel like this is another area where sometimes at lunch I'll say, what are you feeling like today? And then I get the grilled cheese response nine times out of 10 or macaroni. And I do sometimes say that's not an option today, but what can you, do you want to choose between this and that is giving mm -hmm. them a little bit of choice between one or two things, still maintaining autonomy over what they're, what they're being served essentially while giving them a little bit of control over that? Or would you mm -hmm. recommend really just choosing for them essentially? Well, what are you eating for lunch? That would be my question. I usually have a sandwich or I'll do like a smoothie with toast and avocado with some hemp seeds on it. Mm -hmm. um, and so they'll, I, I feel like for lunches, we sometimes eat different foods, but for breakfast and dinner, we're all, all eating the same thing. So if I'm making oatmeal in the morning, then mm. they're having that as well. Or sometimes we'll have toast or sometimes we'll do mm. a smoothie and some granola, that type of thing. Mm. So I think yeah. giving them some choice, like within what you feel comfortable serving for them. So, you know, or maybe you give them choice as to what vegetable would you like to serve at lunch today? Or, right. you know, what protein choice? And you can talk about, well, what is a protein choice? And like, mm. you can look at the fridge and they can help you pick it out. So I think definitely like that helps with food acceptance is having them involved in the cooking process. But I think limiting them to letting them choose, like I said, if I, if I gave my children choices to what they want for lunch, it would always be macaroni and it would always be just butter. Um, so instead <laughs> of giving them that choice, I mean, sometimes I do, right? Like if I'm in a pinch and I'm in a hurry, sometimes they're getting macaroni, right? So I'm yeah. not worried about that. Yeah, I think yeah. on the regular, like if you can, you know, have them choose foods that you would normally eat yourself and then give them the choice of, would you like cheese in your sandwich today? Would you like ham? Would you like avocado? And like get them to kind of pick and choose. It does give them that autonomy, but it also gives them a wider variety of foods in their repertoire. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. From. Yeah. I love that. Do you think it's important as parents for us to sit with our kids for every meal? So as you were like, what do you have for lunch? I'm like, well, you know, during the week, sometimes I'm working and I'll run down and I'll make something for myself 
this is obviously when we have childcare, um, yeah. but I'm not necessarily sitting down for every single meal with my kids. We always do dinner as a family and mm-hmm. then breakfast can be a little bit more haphazard. Um, same with lunch. Mm-hmm. What are so your thoughts no, on that? Like, that's a, I think that's really hard for parents to sit with their kids for every meal. So you know, I think the goal is, is to, we, in general, we say, try and have a meal with your kids sometimes. That's like a goal for most yes. parents. So yes. can you have, like, what meal would that look like for your family? Like in, in the normal day and age, like kids are at sports and they're at music and they're at all these after school activities. So, you know, for a lot of families, dinner isn't the meal that, you know, families can eat together. It's more breakfast, but I think it's not realistic to say eat every meal together, but maybe choose one or two or three or build on what you have per week. Like for you guys, it sounds like you always do dinner together and breakfast is kind of here or there. So maybe choose two breakfasts a week that you sit down together. But I think the, the whole kind of um, background around the family meals is it's so protective for kids. Number one, to have that opportunity to see you eating And so they're going to get more skills in terms of food acceptance because they see you eating foods that are different, foods that are new to them, enjoying them. Like you don't need to say, oh, this avocado is delicious. They see that by you eating it. Right. They have the same food on their plate. They can choose to eat it or not eat it. So I think having them have that experience, it helps with food acceptance. It also is a protective factor in terms of like children that eat with their families tend to have better grades. They tend to participate in, you know, um, they're not as sexually active as early. They do better in school. They have more supports in terms of, uh, protective things like preventing eating disorders and all those kinds of things. So there's so mm-hmm. many protective factors eating together and that we always if possible encourage families to choose. And like many families are doing, you know, one meal a week. And I think yeah. just building on where you're at and moving forward with how, how can you incorporate that into your life? That's actually going to be feasible. And the other thing is that family meals don't have to be perfect. I think that's the other thing families get caught up in is they hear family meal. Okay. Well, it needs to have a salad. It needs to have a whole grain, needs to have a lean protein. And what we're talking about here is just having a meal, whatever that looks like for your family. If that's pizza on Friday night, order takeout, and you all sit down together and talk about your week, then I think Mm. that's a great opportunity to share and talk to your kids and get to know what's going on in their life. So it doesn't have to be perfect. And I think that's where we get hung up is trying to make these family meals perfect when in reality, it's just eating and sharing the foods together. Mm, I love that. So speaking of the family, I'm thinking about, okay, after this, I want to have a conversation with my husband and with our nanny and talk about some of the things that I learned. And I feel like we all have to come at it from the same page. We can't have these poor kids getting different structure and rules from, you know, everybody who's helping mm-hmm. to, to parent them. And what's interesting is my husband grew up in a family of three boys and, uh, and, and his parents were very much like finish what's on your plate. Um, and so of course, you know, that's what he knows. And he hasn't had issues with eating disorders or body image concerns. And so, um, for him, it's just, that's the way that it is. You finish what's on your plate and then you can leave the table. Mm. So how, why is, why is all of this so important? And I feel like as women, sometimes it has to be us who start the conversation because often we're the ones who've had the more complicated relationship with food Mm. and our body and understand how much this 
dialogue can really impact our lives and our, and our health and wellness. Any tips on sort of onboarding the family? And I know he'll mm-hmm. be so open to this, mm-hmm. obviously, of course, but in really helping with the buy-in, helping get everybody on the same page with it and explaining why, why it's important. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a great question because I think too, another place I find a lot of kind of quote unquote resistance is the grandparents. Like, <laughs> right. Oh, there's different rules here. And like, or like I've heard of families, like, you know, the parents being really on board with like this, you know, body positive parenting as we call it. But then the grandparents being like, are you sure he should be having more ice cream? Like totally. gaining weight, like, you know, so I think, um, I love my parents and, uh, but uh, you know, there are different rules and different, you know, uh, different things going on at, you know, in different households. And I think the best way to kind of onboard is to explain that you're, you know, where you're coming from is a place of, um, love and that, you know, especially with, you know, people that are, you know, older people that, you know, they did a great job raising you, but the day and age that we're living in is so super highly critical in terms of women on their bodies and the images that we receive that things have to be done kind of a little bit of a different way. And so I think just getting them to buy in that things may be different than you were raised or you're, how you grew up, but helping kids fully bloom in terms of their best self is going to start even as young as the age of three, we start seeing mm. kids being aware of their body shape and size, aware of other kids shape and size. And by sadly, by about five, um, little girls start to feel critical about their own bodies by that mm. young. So I think yeah. setting a strong foundation in terms of connecting to your body, listening and respecting your body starts like as young as we can possibly start. So, I mean, if your kids are 10 years old, you can start today, but don't think that if you're two, that you can't start today too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It it really is never too young to start this, this conversation and this dialogue. And even hearing you say that right now, I'm thinking back to the beginning of this podcast when I was like, my son's huge. Like he's so big for his age. And obviously everyone listening right now understands that my intention there is, is totally pure. And I'm just like, he's a tall kid, but Mm -hmm. I also have to be careful around my language in describing his body as a boy as well, in the same way that I would be aware of, you know, I probably wouldn't, if I'm being real, if I'm being honest, Mm -hmm. say in front of my daughter ever, like, you're so huge, you're so big, because I would be worried about her internalizing that in, in some fashion as as she's only two right now, but I still Mm -hmm. would be conscious of not saying that. And yet Mm -hmm. with my son, I obviously just said it flippantly. I actually say mm-hmm. it all the time. And so mm-hmm. really kind of examining that dialogue that we have ab- around both uh, our boys and our girls is important, mm-hmm. I think. Older, mm-hmm. do you have boys or girls? I have a you boy have girls, and a girl. Right? So I have uh, my, yes. my daughter's four and then my son is two. So yeah, I mean, I think boys get a different message. What I hear people say in terms of for boys versus girls is I hear a lot more like she's so pretty oh look at how long her legs are versus my son oh he's such a smart boy he's so strong so I think I always try and reflect back on oh and you're also very kind so very gentle and you're a great friend is reflecting on some of the inner qualities that they have at when people do comment on the outer qualities but I hear a lot more physical positive characteristics towards my female child and more yes. 
like mental, look at how smart you are. You know how to do that so well. Like you're like a superman yeah. or whatever. Like that kind of yeah. stuff for my boy. Or you're so, so strong or you're so athletic or yeah, that type yeah. of thing. Right. Yes. So I think we just, I mean, we're doing the best we can. And I think we're here, we're all just learning this process and trying to do things differently. So yeah. I mean, don't feel bad about like one comment that you made, you know, we're all, I think moving forward, we can just start looking at kind of internal qualities of, um, what makes them a great person as opposed to external. If you could sort of leave any parents or caregivers who are listening right now with sort of three fundamental gifts that they could give their children in regards to their relationship with food. What would you, what, what sort of lessons or takeaways would you want them to carry with them? So one of them I would say is that I would encourage moms and dads to not diet. This may sound strange when you ask for what gifts can we give to our children, but our children are learning and listening to everything that we say at all times. So as a child growing up, I heard my mom talk about those slim fast shakes and that cabbage soup diet and this and that. And from a very young age was steeped in the culture of also thinking that I needed to change my body. So one of the things I would recommend for parents is not to diet, which is really hard, right? So this is a whole, like, this isn't just like an easy, like, Oh, just do this one thing, but know that your little people are listening. Um, so they, they will follow in the footsteps of their parents. So the other thing I would say along the same kind of thread is that talk about your body in a positive way in front of your kids. So if you feel like, you know, your post baby body is more jiggly or more wrinkly or more stretch marky, instead of saying those things, talk about the positive aspects of your body, how strong you are, how you grew this life, how you can, you're resilient and you're powerful and all of these positive things. I like to, even when I'm with my kids, like I have baths with them still, you know, we try, we talk about different parts of the body in a positive way and, and never would I say, Oh, yes. don't look at my stomach. It's too wrinkly or whatnot. So that would be one thing is trying to, you know, avoid dieting, talk about your body in a positive way because they listen mm -hmm. and hear that. And then we'll think of their own bodies in a positive way. Mm -hmm. um, another thing I would recommend is as much as possible to eat with your kids. So show them that there's value in eating a variety of foods that it will help them with food acceptance. It will help them with lifelong skills. So trying to eat with them as much as possible. And the other thing is the last kind of gift I would say is to try and avoid talking about food as being good or bad, because I do find yes. that kids really internalize those those comments, you know, oh, mommy's been really bad today. She had a donut. So then your child thinks, well, I had a donut too. Am I bad? Like what right. would make me bad about that? Or, you know, oh, mommy is being good today. So I can't have any of that. So then they're thinking, well, um, how am I, am I still good if I have those things? So I think right. trying to just food is food. Food is neither, every food gives us something. So even, you know, the sour key soothers or the whatever, it still gives us energy. So no food is good or bad. Some foods may give us more nutrient, but all foods give us something. They give us pleasure. They give us connection. They give us celebration. They give us nutrients. Um, so, you know, try to just talk about food as it is. Food is food and some food we eat more often and some food we eat less often. And so mm. I think trying to kind of 
reflect on our food in that way kind of takes the pressure off kids to internalize the feeling. I have a small person. He has entered the building off the patio. So oh, this is Jen. And she's just talking to me about a lot of cool stuff. What's the light? So um, just one second. I'm just no going to call in some reinforcement here. Can I do, Mama, what am I going to do? Like SOS, husband. I was surprised that I didn't get a bum wiping request like mid meeting. Honestly, this has happened so many times and <laughs> it is like, it's getting to the point where it's just hilarious. Like yesterday I had a group of maybe 30 people that I was coaching live. I had to firearm carry James out of the room Ow. and, um, and he was like, had his feet against the wall. Everyone was watching. Can I give you a kiss? Love, love you. <laughs> Awesome. I know. Oh, this is real. This is live. This is how, yeah, this is how it goes. Anyways. Um, so, okay. Where were we? We were at the gifts that we can give our kids. We talked about not dieting, talking positively about your body, not mm -hmm. labeling foods as being good or bad. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think is for a lot of individuals, an internal shift that they have to make because we, for the most part, a lot of us have been taught that's healthy or not healthy. That's good. That's bad. And so it's mm -hmm. actually like kind of starts within as individuals shifting the narrative that we have around food so that we're able to speak to our kids in a different way and so that we're able to carry a different perspective. I can guarantee mm -hmm. right now that there's people listening and I totally understand if this is, you know, their perception on things who are saying like, but some foods are healthy and some foods are unhealthy. And, and so I love that you're saying, you know, every single type of food um, has some sort of purpose and gives us something. And if we go back to that very initial conversation that we had about the definition of health, we have to look at health more holistically than just the nutritional value of food. Mm -hmm. We have to look at it from a perspective of pleasure and relationships and um, so many different things that food brings to the table. So I think those are all such beautiful gifts for anybody who's listening. If you have any questions about this, if you're feeling uncertain about how to navigate any of this stuff, please send Jen a DM on Instagram. She has two kids and obviously COVID and everything is happening right now. So give her a second to respond back, but reach out because that's what we're here for is to support people through these times. You can also always book in a session with her and, um, you know, really have that opportunity to work with her one-on-one -on -one to get the guidance that you need. If you feel like you need a little extra support in navigating this conversation and creating a different relationship with food in your household. Jen, is there anything else that you would like parents to know who are listening right now? Just that I know that you're doing the best you can. Um, I know that this is probably the hardest job you've ever had to do, uh, for myself included. Um, it's, it's taken the most patience, the most understanding, you know, you're putting yourself second every single day and know that I know you're doing the best you can and that working together, you know, you 
are this foundational piece of their upbringing, but also know that they know you love them. So mm. keep in mind that you don't have to be perfect and none of us are, and all of us are going through crazy times and we're all going to make mistakes and that's totally normal. Um, and that we're just all doing the best we can. Thank you. Thank you for that message. I think every single mama and everything single dad out there needs to hear it probably multiple times a day. Mm. So, you know, if you just need to keep rewinding that clip and listening to it over and over again, mm. then do it. You do it until you, you hear it and you feel it and you embody it because it is exactly. the truth. Everyone is doing such a great job out there. We're navigating, uh, you know, really interesting time in, in the world. And we have a lot more information than ever before. We also have a lot of opposing messages coming at us. So mm -hmm. I hope that uh, you found that this, this podcast episode gave you a little bit more confidence in knowing how to navigate this conversation. It absolutely did for me. I'm so grateful for having you on the show, Jen. Thank you again. Thank you so much. I'm so happy to be here. All right, everyone, if you found this episode helpful, please take a moment to share it with somebody that you love. You can also click subscribe so that these episodes land in your device for free. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I will see you next week.